All right, that's enough of that. That's enough of that. That's see, this is this is what happened. I was trying to set this thing up here. And I'm like, man, it looks really weird when I go like this. Whoa, my goodness. So there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, there we go. All right, let me let me just let me make this work. Technology. I've got this this like portable Logitech thing here. So there we go. Oh yeah, that's that should do it. All right, now we've got the like my dark face. This is my dark face, people. This is my dark face because of the New World Order. So, um, hey Scott, hey Cassidy, Arch Enema. It's happening in four hours or four minutes. So, um, anyhow, welcome back. I got some friends that are supposed to be coming over to the house right now. They were supposed to get there at uh, 45 minutes ago. But considering where I live, um, I figured I probably had plenty of time to hike the mountain, do a live stream, and come back down probably just in time to say hi. So, you know, there you go. Um, Scott, I think your channel is going to beat me before too long, man. I'm going to, I'm sharing one of your, um, I'm sharing one of your videos. I've got my, um, I've got my video where I, I dig the, the melon pit, you know, composting the nastiest things. And then I've got your version of the, the Pumpkin Hill Melon Pit video, which actually has more views than mine. And I'm, I'm putting them side by side into a Grow Network post, so you might get a little bump in views um, because cause you're more handsome than I am, obviously. So I wanted to put your video in there. So you'll see it, um, you'll see it uh, probably in a month or so. It really depends on when the Grow Network decides to publish it. I just send them the stuff and then they publish it when they want to. <clears throat> so hey Amy, hey Mama Woods. Um, oh Cassie, good work. Cassie says David, I just got home from the antique antique resale shop where I found a vintage solid forged ring hoe and harvest knife as well as some vintage tools. They're the best. Put them back to work. I mean, I, I still have um, this one vintage hoe that I bought eight or ten years ago. It was my, my wife and I were out on our uh, for our anniversary in Micanopy, and um, I decided to pick up a hoe. So I, it was like 15 bucks. And I was like, ah man, let's 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 take this home with us. So I did, and I put a new. Um, it, it had an old. There was an old handle on it, but it was like the, the whole head of it is made of really good forged steel. So um, when I put a new handle on it sharpened it, bent the swan's neck a little bit. I am still using that thing, even though it was already kind of worn when I got it. It just, like, it just, it's almost impervious to everything, and it cuts the soil like a knife. So I'm really glad for you. That's, that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> Amy says, sounds like my version of time management. I think I can get way more done in too little time. Yeah, hey, Carolyn. It's good to see you. Uh, Scott is on the rise. Scott's gonna beat me. Scott's gonna beat me like Pete Canaris, and then we're all gonna be griping behind his back about how Scott beat me. I can't believe that, Scott. You know, Scott, all Scott has to do is look at the ground and the melon pit digs itself. <sighs> That's Scott. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Cassidy, if you can find a, uh, a good... If you could find a persimmon seedling out in the woods, they make great tool handles. 
Right, so I just got my first Katuk cuttings. Have 30 rooting now. Moringa seedlings coming up fast. Thanks for all your advice. Well, you're very welcome. I'm very glad. Good work. <laughs> I love Katuk. It's it's a pretty it's a pretty little plant. It's not the easiest thing to eat because you just kind of go got to go through and strip all these little tiny leaves off. It's not like a cabbage where you get these big huge like tons of tons of food out of it. It's like little leafy things, and then you you have to like strip more of them into a pan than you really think you 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 need. You know. As you, you cook them down and they're like that much, but uh, they are cool. <clears throat> Mama Wood says, am I supposed to keep the yeah mini sets in moist soil to sprout? I missed that part. Uh, yeah, yes, that's that's what I did. Uh, there's a couple things you can do. You can either you can either dust them with ashes and plant them directly in the ground, or you can put them in a pot of somewhat moist soil. It doesn't have to be super moist. They'll they'll pull on the moisture that's in the in the yam chunks and grow and as they start to sprout out of the ground then you can take them out and plant them in your gardens or you can plant them directly and hope generally it works um so hey um let's talk because i might get i might get pulled away somebody might send a kid up here to tell me that the party's already started without me um which happens a lot i, I don't get invited to a lot of parties you know the party's like oh dave it was last week man yeah, you missed it. Oh, dude, you never got a call. Yeah, it's crazy. You shouldn't have been talking about global warming. <laughs> Nobody really wants to talk to you anymore, Dave. Uh, turn into one of those deniers. You know what I mean? So anyhow, um, let's let's talk about let's talk about this thing. Oh, now I got a super chat. Oh, when should I start stress training my MJ plant? MJ plant. Are you talking about marijuana? This is a drug-free zone. We have kids watching this. Um, I have no idea. I've, I've never grown it. Um, but thank you for the super chat. <laughs> I, I'm guessing it's unless you're like mulberry jam plant. If it's a mulberry jam plant, um, they'll take any stress you throw at them. I do have edible air potatoes. Uh, I have two different varieties of Dioscoria bulbifera that are both, both purportedly edible. I had a third variety that I'm pretty sure wasn't edible, so I chucked it. <clears throat> Hello, how to garden. Okay, so here we go. Here we go. Let's talk about what's going on in the gardens. Now, I caught some great controversy, great and outrageous controversy with my why I do not deep mulch my gardens thing. I mean, I didn't really cause that much controversy. I think people don't really pay that much attention to me except for the people um, that already get where I'm coming from philosophically. I get a few people that come in and say, oh man, what, what are you doing now and why would you do that? And that's totally wrong. But generally they're not people that are accustomed to the, the, the let's say, highbrow culture of this channel. They are, they are, um, they are folks that are, are maybe casual watchers. You guys know that I, I have a very large toolkit that I'm always pulling different methods from for different purposes and I'm always testing and experimenting. If I do something, it doesn't mean that I'm telling everybody this is what they should do. If I tell you this is what you should do, you should probably do it um, because it's based on ex experience. But then again, you know, taste taste and see how it works. But uh, but with the with the mulching thing, I did get a few people that were like, you know, you should mulch and it's this and you should check into this and I love it when when people pop up and share 
links to useful information. I don't like it so much when they send links to videos because I really don't have much time to watch videos and I'm not really a video watcher. But when people link to books and PDFs or they tell me read this book or whatever, I find that easier to do than to sit and watch videos for the most part. And I, and I, I like to read because I can absorb information faster. So if, if I throw a video out there it doesn't mean that it's the end-all method to garden. It happens to be the method that I'm using or trying at that point. And I will tell you, the, the garden digging method um, of, of digging or double digging, at least getting 12 inches of loose soil, adding some compost, planting on top of it, and keeping it watered, will get you food in a survival situation. And when I started the gardens, I didn't have any access to biomass or anything else, um, or not much access to it. And at this point, it's even harder because this is the this is the dry season, and everything is getting so dry. We've only had a fraction of an inch of rain maybe in the last month at this point, and so it's it's uh, it's difficult to get what what uh, what would be enough mulch to cover 7,000 square feet. And so, um, so the so the deal is, I believe that mulching builds really good soil, and it works well in certain situations. It does not work in all situations. Like we talked to you know we talked the other night, if you have you may have runaway problems with snails and slugs or syphilins or whatever those things are um, that. <laughs> that skill cult has to deal with. I can't remember what they're called. They're like little little freaky millipede things that chew everything up. Uh, if you you know organic matter can just be a, a a nest of things that are bad. Like a pile of lumber here is a haven for scorpions. My kids found a bag. They were they were doing some cleaning back underneath the shelf today, and they found a bag that had a large scorpion in it and 13 baby scorpions. That's what you get in in the tropics. And uh, they, I mean, they, they, that's kind of scary, you know? So with the, with the mulching situation, you know, a bunch of people sent me a bunch of, a bunch of information and, and a lot of it, um, a lot of the information on deep mulching I know because I have, I have experimented with it before. But then I got into the the syntropic agriculture stuff, which is coming out of Brazil, and because it was in Portuguese, and and not widely talked about or shared yet, but I think it's it's popping at this point. I I um I hadn't really heard of it. I hadn't heard of it at all. I'd never heard of the guy. And I get uh, first I got a video, and I I downloaded the video so I could watch it later. And like a week later, I got to watch the video that was linked. And then uh. There was also a PDF of a comic book on how to do it. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Um, bit by bit. The the comic book version that just kind of gives you an overview of how the whole system works with diagrams of how the beds work and stuff. That's that's useful. And then um, a, a bunch of other data. So um, uh, my, my friend Andrew sends me like a, a detailed PDF with a whole bunch of links in it, which I'm working my way through the links because a lot of them are videos in, in Portuguese and... And so it's not the easiest thing to get through. And again, it's, it's video watching 
when it's when it's documents it's really easy for me to, to grab it and, and read it in my spare time but the video thing is not so easy so the um, the system I'm looking at is is a you know it's a combination of what I was talking about where you've got the alley cropping and you've got all of the mulch being grown in place and you've got banks of trees and you've got banks of annual gardens and a lot of that so I had already started planting bananas at the ends of some of my garden beds and I had already started putting papaya into some of my garden beds so I'm putting a little I started a bunch of papaya from seed and then I'm putting the you know the pawpaws here and there scattered through the garden because I'm thinking I can get stacked layers of productivity in this space but I decided to start adding more bananas too after looking at the syntropic agriculture and seeing how they use bananas and they use the banana stems to chop into pieces and use for slow release irrigation and there's just a lot of cool stuff um, but I also had a problem in the garden with erosion. We had a six inch rainfall event that washed some of the topsoil down the pathways. And so I've got to deal with that as well. So if I can get banks of perennials around the edges of the property, it'll help stop the erosion out of the system. And I also need to make like some mounds. And so the water, if it starts to overflow, will direct in different ways. So I got all of those bananas yesterday and put them in this morning. Got up early this morning. I set my alarm for 5.15, but I didn't actually get out of bed until six. And then I, I went out in the garden and I got my coffee and I, I started planting bananas. I planted about 12 bananas this morning. And I planted some tanya, which is an edible uh, elephant ear. Makes, it makes a nice edible root, really easy to grow. For you, you Floridians, or even you Texans, you could probably grow it. It's pretty easy. It's a, it's a perennial elephant ear. Tanya, T-A-N-N-I-A. So I started putting some of these things in here and I dedicated a bank of my garden, one bank to growing biomass. And then I've got the other edge, which I was already growing biomass on. I had vetiver grass growing on it and that's gonna be expanded. So I've got a better a better setup there. Um, <clears throat> Mama Wood says mulch and leaves cause a system of flies to lay maggots in my soil for my radishes. Yeah, it absolutely happens. Absolutely happens. Um, it's funny, I think a lot of people feel the way you do, Scott and Onalina. The the videos, I was pushed into doing videos. I, I did some videos, but my, my, my publisher, was the one who told me I really needed to start doing live streams and interacting directly with with people. And Justin Rhodes told me to push my YouTube channel to make it big back when I had 3,000, I think it was like 3,200 subscribers when Justin said, do 30 days of videos and I'll, I'll give your channel a plug. And you know, you can grow it from there. Um, Rick, I'm not sure if it'll fruit there. I think I answered that last time. Uh, it should fruit there because it fits the climate. If it's an Arbikina, probably. Um, I answered it in the last the last stream. Uh, so what I'm what I'm doing, what I what I had I had the children go and gather leaves to cover some of the pathways because it has been so dry that it's getting so I can't even put transplants out because I can't seem to keep enough water on the ground. The the evaporation 
and you can see the breeze. It's been really breezy, high evaporation, and, and very dry air, so everything is just going terrible, um, except for all the, all the perennial stuff and the things that I already had moderately established. So what I'm doing is I'm throwing some rotten manure down in the ground, and I'm throwing ashes down in the ground, and then watering the beds really, really deeply with the hose, like soaking it deep and then soaking it again so it goes so the water really saturates the ground and then mulching over the top of it with bamboo leaves and I've done that with a few beds uh, just to hold the the moisture in and I'm not really planting many transplants or anything right now with the exception of the bananas and I'm gonna put in some more cassava and I put in some small fruits I took one of my beds that has annuals in it and I started planting small fruits in it so I planted limeberry and I planted um, Suriname cherry, and I planted a mulberry so far. So I've got small fruits. Oh, and a uh, cocoa plum. I planted it. So the, basically, I've got these little these bush plants, which will be a little higher, and then I can grow greens and other vegetables in between and beneath them because the tropical sun is a heck of a thing. And I wanted to put some perennials here and there through the gardens, but I was like, hey, you know, I might as well just start. Uh, even though it's really dry, I can't, it's really hard to control myself. So I had to soak them in really deeply and then mulch around, mulch around the base, hopefully this evening. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, Rick. <laughs> I'm not picking on you. Um, basically, with the, with the Arbicina, olives, I know that they fruit well in Florida, and Olives will fruit in a subtropical climate, so they should have no problem fruit, fruiting in South Florida. They just don't like to be in really wet conditions or have a lot of humidity, so a good draining area with some rocks is nice. If you have it, it should do well. Brett has been using cypress wood chips for mulch. Dump a few bags in a large container and add nitrogen to start the composting process. I add it to my plants when needed. Works great. Yeah, cypress is, cypress is nice, but it doesn't break down as fast as I like. It, it sticks around for a long time, which is great, probably, you know, it can be great. It's really great in landscaping, but I liked the tree company mulch that had, you know, the shredded cabbage palms mixed with shredded oaks, mixed with shredded vines, and all the shredded junk by the side of the road because it, it rotted a lot faster, and I wanted it to build soil more than I wanted to a permanent mulch layer. But uh, this, I think that you're, you're onto something. Mixing the nitrogen and kind of precharges it. Yes, I do have passion fruit growing. I have both uh, Passiflora incarnata and I have Passiflora quadrangularis. The so that's common passion fruit, and then I have the uh, Grenadilla. Grenadilla. Bat steaks. That's nice, Mama Woods. Brad says, David, I live on a small lake in South Florida and everyone pulls their sprinkler water from the lake but I'm worried about the chemicals they spray. Do you think it's better to harvest rainwater? Yeah, probably it's better. Yeah, a good a good test on the lake is how are the frogs doing? If there're tadpoles in the lake and there's frogs singing at night, the lake's probably okay. Frogs are usually your your canary in the coal mine, you know, canary in the coal mine on on how bad the water quality is or how dangerous it is. Jason says, are your books selling well during this craziness? I would guess they are selling out. Yes, they're selling out. I am, um, this is the, this month has been the the best month of sales I have ever had. It's been crazy. 
Um, I, I'm not getting into J.K. Rowling territory, but it's been good. Um, and not sometimes not as high as I thought they might go, but probably about a third to a half higher than usual. <clears throat> My publisher is very happy with me. <laughs> uh, Scott says, David, what are your top five books to glean from in order to find methods or techniques to experiment with? I would say uh, Gaius Garden by Toby Hemingway. Grow More Vegetables by John Jeevins. Gardening When It Counts by Steve Solomon. I really like Grow a Little Fruit Tree by Ann Ralph, but that's a very specific one, probably not as, as broad. Uh, the Echo Manual for Small Farms. The Echo Small Farms book is probably one of the best resources books I've ever seen. If you can find that online, it's from Echo in uh, Fort Myers. It's like the Small Farm Handbook. It's this big, thick book, very useful. And, see, so yeah, I gotta pick a number five. <clears throat> You know, if I was just going to say one of my favorites, it would be uh, Fruits of Warm Climates by Julia Morton. I, I am also... I'm also... I, I enjoy reading books like, you know, The One Star Revolution, but but it's it's more philosophical and doesn't, doesn't give you a lot of, of practical application. And, and it's very it's very stuck in like a rice growing climate which is not what we not what most of us are you know are using there's probably another one or two that I don't I'm not thinking of right now I've got a ton of of gardening books like I'm reading you know I read the the woodland homestead and um, amazing corn seed to seed if you want to save seeds seed to seed by Susan Suzanne Ashworth is fantastic uh, Perennial Vegetables by Eric Tonesmeyer is a really good, really good book. Uh, for Zone Pushing, Palms Don't Grow Here and Other Myths by Dr. David Franco is very, very good. Um, and of course, you know, I'm currently reading The Complete Works of G.K. Chesterton, but that doesn't apply to gardening at all, so. <clears throat> Sergi says, the first batch of swamp water is almost ready. The thing doesn't even smell that bad. No raccoons in there, though. <laughs> yeah, we put a raccoon in there. It's terrible. I put a bunch of kitchen scraps in this last one. It smells horrible. But sometimes when it's just weeds, it's not that bad. Uh, Trichocerius cacti tips for Florida 9A. No, I don't have any. I, I haven't grown much uh, in the way of cactus. <clears throat> Did you grow the wild Florida Sambucus in South Florida? No. no. North Central Florida. Rick is mulching with lemongrass and weeds. That's a good idea. I think lemongrass is probably going to be excellent for getting rid of some stuff. Uh, for chasing away some bugs. Hey, Jordan. Jordan says hi. Hi, Jordan. Hey, Alan. Yeah, it is actually funny. The uh, Grow or Die went back up into bestseller territory, actually hitting the like the 1,000 range again, meaning that it was in the top 1,000 books. 
selling on Amazon for a day and it sold out and after it sold out like Amazon didn't have it for something like three weeks and it lost momentum and it dropped way back into like the 20,000 rank and then it went back into stock and it went up a little bit but it was really flying for a little bit and Amazon just totally sold out on it and couldn't get it again for for a long chunk you know <laughs> I'm currently reading Kaczynski's manifesto what an amateur <laughs> that's funny he had some legit points um, <laughs> Mama was just crazy. So, guys, um, in the gardens right now, just letting the I'm letting my latest batch of swamp water rot down. I'm planting bananas. I'm going to plant some more Tithonia diversifolia, and I had another cool gardening idea. I'm getting distracted here. I had another cool gardening idea. What about living trellis poles? So instead of having an entire trellis made of something that's maybe not a useful species, what if I took a, a uh, Glaricidia sepium, which is a, a tropical nitrogen-fixing tree that can be propagated and used for fences. It's the one that I, I made my interwoven fence out of. What if I took Glaricidia sepium and I stick one of those sticks in the ground at the end of each one of my garden beds. So at the end of each one of my garden beds, I have a permanent tree and I can cut the limbs off of it or whatever, but it, it roots deeply into the ground, becomes a permanent tree, which then anytime I want to grow pole beans or something like that, I can run a string from that tree to the other end of the bed. And I also get the chop and drop effect of the leaves off of the top of it. So as soon as the rains come, and I know that they're gonna root because Right now it's so dry, they're probably not gonna root in the ground, but in the rainy season, you can pretty much stick a broom handle in the ground and it'll it'll root. Um, I just put a Glaricidia at the end of each one of my beds. So there, there's evenly spaced poles, which I can easily just run strings to anytime I feel like it. If I want to rotate a set of beans through, or I wanna rotate yams through, or I wanna rotate some cucumbers through, I'll have it there. So I have nitrogen fixing capability already in place but I have permanent garden poles that are rooted into the ground that are fixing nitrogen and they really don't take that much space to work around. I thought that's kind of a cool idea. I think I'll do that. So that's, that, that was one of the ideas I had the other night. I was, I was toying with the idea of making a big, like a, a tent teepee type structure out of Glaricidia branches. Now for those of you guys that are in South Florida, you can do the same thing with a uh, gumbo limbo. Let's see what a gumbo limbo looks like. A second here. You see that? So that tree right there in the middle, that's a that's a gumbo limbo tree, and all you got to do with one of those guys is ram a stick in the ground and it roots. Uh, you can do the same thing with uh, Aurelia species, but. Yeah, they should make some biomass. I should stick a couple of them out there too. They're not, they don't have any other uses. Like the, the nitrogen fixing capability of Glaricidia makes it interesting to me because I can, it grows really fast and I can chop and drop the top of it. Aurelia doesn't do that. And it smells really weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Michael. It's a nitrogen fixer as well. I am in zone 97. That's right. 
That's right. Look at Big D stacking functions. That's right. Stacking functions. Multiple uses. I used to be in uh, gym. I used to be in zone uh, 8 slash uh, 8 slash 9 in north central Florida. Um, I think the USDA changed the zone map and bumped that area into a, a solidly into zone 9. But it's not correct because of the outlier frost events. I don't think that just because it's warmed for a period of time that that's a good thing to base the future on. So I, I would still I would still treat it like zone eight slash slash nine for outlier events because it doesn't take very much to to have a really weird harsh winter or something like that. So if you garden like it's solid zone nine, um, you're gonna get you know lose your star fruit tree or your mango or whatever you try to grow. You know. <clears throat> Yeah, Derek says, funny watching so many other garden channels, so you must aerate compost teas, and anaerobic is like the devil. Yeah, those are called normal people. We're not normal people here. Amy says, where would you suggest buying yams? I would go to a public supermarket and look for nyame. Somebody says I'm saying it wrong. It's not name, it's nyame. Nyame. So nyame yams. It's, it looks like name, N-A-M-E. Uh, if you go and pick up uh, one of those yams, you can propagate from it. And they're probably Dioscoria. They might be Rotundata or Cayenansis. They're probably not Dioscoria alata, but they, they might be. Don't buy them on eBay. There's a lot of scammers. Anything special to look for from yam sellers? Yeah, don't, don't go to eBay. Just trust me. There's a lot of false sellers on there and a lot of scammers particularly anything from overseas don't, don't trust uh mama wood says oh, how about two ice cream bean trees brings up nitrogen yes absolutely i actually have planted three or four ice cream bean trees in the middle of the gardens too so i will have those for poles as well but they're going to take longer than just ramming a stick in the ground so i'm a little a little lazy when it comes to that sort of thing. I don't want to wait that long. I don't want to wait a whole year. I want to like jam a pole in the ground and be able to immediately start growing beans up it, you know? So that's 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 what I'm doing. Sergi says, so I have a big pile of branches. My wood chipper would only be able to chop them in rather big pieces, which would probably decompose in a couple of years. So I thought I'd burn them and just spread ashes. You can do that. Um, I also just found out of the way places like around around fruit trees. I think throwing chunks of wood around the base of fruit trees is a really good practice. They they like to, um, trees like to grow in the remains of other trees, because that's the way forests work. You think of a, a tree falling down on the ground and dropping all the branches and leaves and everything. I threw branch piles and chunks of wood all over the place on the ground. The more ground contact you get, the, fr the faster they break down, but it's not particularly important because it's, it's a slow, slow time release type of fertility thing that holds moisture and also grows uh, fungi and fungi are, are good for the system so if you have a fruit tree throw chunks of wood around the base or you know go ahead and burn them and use the ashes uh, you don't get as good a long-term benefit necessarily but ashes are a really nice thing to have on hand for the garden too so i burn big piles of wood and save the ashes i've gone through something like 20 gallons of ashes in the last uh, four months of being in, working in the gardens. I put the ashes all over the place for the potassium and the calcium. And if I had just left all the trees to rot down, I would have missed those ashes. So 
There's nothing wrong with turning them into ashes, but I also sometimes I just throw chunks on the ground when I have them. Uh, Alan says, did you say new yams develop below the old one? Yes. If you leave a, a true yam in the ground, this is Dioscoria species. If you leave a true yam in the ground, it has a, it has a pronounced dormant cycle. It's, it's pronounced dormancy cycle. I mean, it's like the whole thing dies and you think you killed it. It does that every November, December. The, the vine yellows and it falls, it turns brown and it dies and it leaves the yam in the ground. So that yam stays in the ground and it's just storing up for the next season's yam. So three, four, five months later, depending on your climate and rainfall, sometimes six months, it bursts into growth again. A vine will come out of that old yam if you leave it in the ground, out of the top. And then that vine just shoots up to the sky because it's got a huge amount of stored moisture and nutrition down there. A lot of carbohydrates that it can run on. So it heads up to the sky and the, the old yam that's beneath the ground gets consumed. It will suck that thing down. If you go and you, and you dig it up after it's sprouted and been growing for a while, you'll find the old yam is starting to get squishy and deteriorating. The plant uses almost all of that old yam and just consumes the big, the big bottom part of it and grows out of the head of it. So the head is the part that generally goes from season to season, but the bottom part of it just goes and it just turns into this thing. If you dig a yam that's a few years old, you'll often find a little rotten, squishy, spongy part of it, which was the previous year's yam. So what it does is, because it has so much energy, it will grow really rapidly up and grab into the tree. So it doesn't even need light to begin with. It's like, whoop, straight up into a tree. And it might grow 20 feet before it puts on much in the way of leaves. It's all energy from the stored yam. Then it reaches the canopy top, it puts out new leaves, it starts gathering, those little solar collectors are just gathering, and it's pulling in. And the yam beneath the ground, then, at some point in the season, I think it's about two-thirds of the way through, or half of the way through the season, because at the beginning of the season, it's consuming the old yam. But then once it gets the solar energy from above, it starts to build a new yam. So beneath the head, the top of the yam, it starts to make a new piece which is that, that tuberous piece. And that, if the vine was really vigorous that year and it ca is capturing a lot of sunlight, it'll make a yam bigger the second year than it made in the first year. And you can end up with a yam, like my kids dug one that was 29 pounds that had probably been in the ground for who knows how long. There seems to be an upper limit on how big they get. Like the second year yams seem to be pretty big. Um, and after that, it's like, I don't know that you, you gain much. But I, I found that in Florida, my first year yams might be two to six or so pounds but the second year yams would blow up as big as you know 12 15 even even 20 pounds so yeah so the new yams develop beneath the the top of the old yam and it tends to consume most of the tuber beneath to to fuel that growth when they come out of dormancy one of my favorite crops they're so much fun so much fun hey karen I made it! I was out in the yard building a trellis for my passion fruit. Well, thank you, Carolyn. I appreciate the super chat. God bless. You guys are... I am. I have not gone back to my um, my cell phone service provider. They suspended everybody's bills for a little while so we could all catch up. I have not gone back to them yet and figured out if I've burned all of my energy, my, my 
my budget or what I'm doing by doing these live streams because this is the only way I can connect is through my cell phone. So um, I it says when I go through the app, it seems to say that I, I always have more uh, bandwidth, but I really... I really doubt that. I've used up a lot of data, but I'm not seeing charges for it yet, and so it makes me a little bit nervous, so we'll see. So the, um, <laughs> I appreciate the, the little bit of bandwidth uh, super chats. <laughs> I hope they're not charging me like a buck, a, a buck a meg or something. <laughs> um, Wolfbilt says, love the idea of the anaerobic tea. I had powdery mildew that came from a batch last year, so I won't quit doing it, but I will be careful about making it this year, though. Yeah, I'm not sure where it, what kind of effect it may have on on your leaves using it, particularly if you're already, if it's later in the season. Generally, the powdery mildew seems to just come in late in the season, no matter what I do, and I have not tested the anaerobic tea on, on the leaves of plants that are subject to powdery mildew and seen powdery mildew appear, and I haven't tried to treat powdery mildew with it. I have used anaerobic, I mean aerobic compost tea and aerobic um, yogurt mixed with a little bit of water, like rain rainwater or uh, non-chlorinated water, and use that to treat powdery mildew. I don't know what the anaerobic does, but I do worry about it causing rot with some plants that would be susceptible to it. Um, I, I use it more as a drench for the ground uh, these days. <clears throat> Is that a pear or an avocado? Thank you, Scott. I appreciate the super chat. A 4000T. My sunchokes arrived. Planting time. Oh, those are fun to grow. They're great and they make a lot of biomass. Um, they, they grow such huge abundant amounts of these beautiful sunflower stalks and they bloom right before frost they're fantastic i love growing sunchokes <laughs> now i'm going to stay with my master gardeners and permaculture teachers from the subtropics little farmers farm says excellent advice on the yams mate god bless from manchester god bless manchester thank you i appreciate it um <clears throat> Michael says, what are some good ideas for zone 10A? Uh, plant moringa trees, plant yard-long beans, plant okra, plant seminal pumpkin, plant Everglades tomato, and plant yourself some bananas and plantains. I would definitely grow mulberries. I would grow a mango tree in a slightly sheltered location. 10A is you're probably going to be fine. Yeah, grow mangoes. Absolutely grow mangoes. But prune the center of it out so the tree doesn't get too big. Um, and then just, just start hunting for tropical trees. A really easy one that's quite productive is a star fruit. Those things just don't complain. And they grow and they produce and they produce and they produce. They're wonderful. And I would also grow the acerola cherry. That's a very productive plant that produces quickly. I love it. And uh, look up chocolate pudding fruit. I like that one too. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Karen sends 20 bucks for the data plan. Much appreciated. I actually need to get into town and, and talk to them, but this everything's been so difficult through the lockdowns and stuff. Um, like, there's a certain amount of time you're allowed to go and days you're allowed to go on. It's just crazy. 
it's just crazy and it means that the the days that we were allowed to go on the the lines were just insane and i didn't want to stand in a building with a whole bunch of people when i wasn't sure how bad this virus actually was so i just kind of like i, I paid ahead a chunk of money before just disappearing to my mountain <laughs> buy some rabbits they taste better than chickens and breed like you know my wife raised rabbits before we have done that. I thank you, thank you, Mars. I am looking at chickens right now, thanks to you guys. I really miss having chicken manure to throw around the gardens, and I miss having chickens for composting purposes. Scott says we ate starfruit yesterday. Very delicious. I bet you could zone push a starfruit. You can actually grow them in a pot and get starfruit. Michael says, how about jackfruit and sapodilla? Both of those are very tropical plants. I would try it. Uh, but I would be careful to protect them through frosts when they're young. Uh, there was somebody that was a little... Where was it? Where did I visit? I visited a master gardener guy who was in Polk County, and he grew a lychee tree, and he decided to build a greenhouse over the top of the lychee for the occasional frosts that come through Polk. It was Polk County, yeah, Polk County. And for the occasional frost to come through, well, he said it got so big and healthy looking, he decided to just let it go through the winter, and it froze it, and it destroyed it. So, like, jackfruit is a very, very true tropical, so you got to be willing to potentially lose it, but I would plant it anyways. Uh, Wolfbilt says, I did find about a 10 to 12% peroxide solution. Foliar spray killed the powdery mildew after a few applications. Thanks. Good. That's a good one to know. Peroxide is cool stuff. Peroxide, actually, uh, I have read, it stimulates the uh, the immune system response of your body to cuts and damage. So if you if you have a cut and you put peroxide on it, it's supposed to actually stimulate the immune response and and send more white blood cells. But somebody else told me, no, iodine is better. So who knows? <laughs> I am not a scientist. I have to try both and see what happens. Yeah, Michael says, I have a three-gallon Hawaiian starfruit with eight fruits on it in the pot. Fantastic. Roselle is very nice. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, you can pull up starfruit in 9B. Put it in a little bit of a sheltered location, though, because they really don't like those occasional frosts. If, it, if things turn colder, uh, the starfruit's going to suffer. <laughs> Karen says, I'm growing sapodilla from a seed. Jackfruit is a tad too big for my yard. No, just prune the living daylights out of it over and over again. See what happens, Karen. You can do it. I bet you you could keep it at eight foot tall. Keep cutting the living daylights out of it. Think of all that biomass, even if it doesn't make jackfruit. It'd be kind of cool. 25 jabuticabas. Very cool. Scott says, I have powdery mildew on Arminian cukes. I've been doing the hydrogen peroxide thing. I always have problems with powdery mildew on, on cucumbers. That's why I switched to growing Cocinia grandis rather than growing regular cucumbers, for the most part. I'm saving seed on cucumbers right now, uh, Boston pickling, because I like, I like the pickling cucumbers. But, I mean, we only got probably 12 cucumbers out of five plants uh, because they, they, don't like, they don't like the heat, they don't like the humidity, the ants get into the bases of them. They just seem to always have some sort of issue. They're touchy things, and they have to grow really fast and be really happy. So I have to actually work to grow them. 
<laughs> Amy says, I dug up baby mimosa from a wooded lot in the neighborhood today, so I am not adding non-native invasives, just moving them around. Yeah, the thing about mimosa is it's been in the United States since something like the 1800s, and it's not going anywhere. They're never going to eradicate mimosa. You might as well take advantage of the fact that it's a very good nitrogen fixer, and it's a very good chop and drop. I, I, I don't think we're going to get rid of it, and I think that the entire invasive thing, it's been massively exacerbated by the movement of peoples around the globe and the the easy transfer between borders and the the fact that anybody can move anywhere at this point. And if they have any plant that they like, they bring it with them. Uh, it, gardeners are just, gardeners are trouble. I really want to bring my plant collection. And then they bring their plant collection from say Trinidad or India, or they bring it from, from Florida and they move to some undisclosed location. And next thing you know, it's a problem, you know. Uh, <laughs> you might as well use what you what you have around and try try not to damage the environment with it. But some things are not going away. <clears throat> I have not grown borage before, Jason. That sounds cool. Slick Rock says figs for nine B. Is it is it nine B humid or nine B arid? Because with figs, it makes a difference whether it's a humid climate or not. So. If you were, if you're in a more arid climate, you can grow a lot of the California varieties of figs and the Mediterranean varieties of figs. So the classic mission fig will do well for you. But if you are in the south where it is hot and humid, it's really hard to beat brown turkey and Celeste. Those are the two figs that just seem to sail on through the humidity and everything. I have grown some other ones. I've grown the purple fig and uh, Texas Everbearing did well for me. Um, I'm not sure which purple it was. The green Ischia does okay. Figs are a little funny. Sometimes they find a location and they love it, and sometimes they find a location and they fail to fruit for you forever. And it's like, what? You know, sometimes they're like fruiting the first year. I planted two figs once. I planted one from a cutting directly in the ground, and then I planted one in a pot that I had gotten from a nursery. And the one in the pot, a year later, was still like a foot and a half tall where I planted it. And the one that I started from a cutting directly in the ground was like eight feet tall and it figs all over it. So there you go, Scott. Michael says, what do you think of bottle brush trees and crepe myrtle within the food forest? I love bottle brush trees in the food forest. I planted them deliberately to attract bees because I went to a plant nursery and I noticed that they are absolutely covered with bees and the, the bees seem to like them better than most everything else in the ornamental section. So I grabbed some and I planted them. I like bottle brush. I, don't find that the crepe myrtles attracted much in the way of insects or, or had much benefit. I like the way they look. They're a pretty tree. They're scrappy. Um, they remind me of my parents' front yard when I was a kid, but I don't find them particularly useful. I would, I would prefer bottle brush. But, you know, the thing is, is if you, if you have a plant that you love, just bring it home and plant it. Uh, the, there's no... You don't have to stack functions on everything. There's there's benefits that we don't even see about trees that we don't think are particularly useful. <laughs> Mars says, aha, we can now find out what country you live in by monitoring which countries get outbreaks of Floridian plants. Alan says, the apocalypse has put the danger of invasives into perspective. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Alex says, any tips for mammoth sunflower 10B? Yes, give them, give them rich soil and water uh moderately compost is good a little bit of ashes are good and get them growing well from the beginning because if they start growing poorly at the beginning they tend not to become mammoth 
Scott says bottle brush equals paper wasps in my area. Yeah, and those paper wasps are some of the best caterpillar hunters in the world. So if they're bringing in the paper wasps, put it in a corner of your yard where you get the paper wasps, or put it at the edge of your garden so you get the wasps showing up. The wasps, you just have to move around them carefully, but man, a lot of those things are caterpillar eaters. They're unbelievable. When I started making space for wasps around my gardens, my caterpillar issues disappeared. I didn't have any caterpillar issues anymore in the gardens. Unbelievable. Like, gone. Um, and I, and I, I actually watched them tearing caterpillars to bits in the garden, like at the edges of the garden beds. Crazy. <laughs> Odd Rob says, I threw some old dried up potatoes from last year's harvest into my compost piles. Compost everything. And today I noticed potatoes sprouting out of the pile. I love that. Just leave them alone and see what happens. Scott, you love wasps already. I knew you must have. That kind of guy. No pecans here. I would really love to grow some macadamia nuts, but I haven't been able to find any trees close by that I can get. <clears throat> So I'm I'm gonna have to um, I'm gonna have to take off because I gotta get down to the party. It really is getting even for uh, even for our time. It's kind of getting a little late, and I'm sure they're partying without me. And I heard that there was both rum and cigars. So I think I'm gonna go. I mean, I love you guys, but <laughs> Alex says best way to stop dragonflies from destroying my banana leaves. I I didn't think dragonflies would destroy banana leaves. I have no idea. What are they flying through them? Are they breathing fire on them? I, I'm not sure. Anyhow, guys, uh, I want to thank you all for the the super chats, for the extra um, the bandwidth super chats from my mountain lair up here. Mar says, "I'm still hoping you write that tactical gardening book one day. It's it's on my list." <clears throat> I bought multiple books for the research. Let me see here. I want to thank you guys. I want to thank Ben and Carolyn and Scott and Karen for the super chats. Much appreciated. And um, and Mars. It doesn't let me see everybody sometimes. So thank you guys very much for that. Thank you to all my members who keep this channel supported. If you're a channel member, I um, I gave away the copy a copy of my new book, Florida Survival Gardening, which should be coming out very soon, within a week or two, hopefully. I, I'm chasing them about getting the cover done right now. Um, but that should be coming out soon. And the I gave a copy to the members, and we had a members-only stream a couple of days ago to talk about it back on Tuesday. So if you are a member of this channel, look for my members only posts and you can find uh, the free download of the book. <clears throat> I should. I should share some cigar pics. But this is a kid's channel. We shouldn't teach smoking. No. Smoking is bad. Smoke, smoking will actually pr help protect you from Corona Chan. Oh, I just got demonetized! I take it for medicinal purposes. Medicinal purposes only. So, yeah, now I have to pay attention to my children again. That's good. Well, thank you, Michael, for the, the, uh, the super chat. Much appreciated. <laughs> for another live stream. Yes. 
Well, God bless you guys. I, I do appreciate it. The members give me that, that it's $5 a month to be a channel member, and you get to use the Bephemus emoji and the Machete emoji, but you also get the free stuff that I give to members only now and again. Which reminds me, um, unauthorized.tv is in the middle of a reorganization right now. The servers are being expanded, and it's being changed to work better. And so for those of you who are my subscribers over at unauthorized.tv, that is outside of the Google ecosystem. And I put some videos up over there that you can't watch anywhere else, like my tiny house expat living, with the 22 videos on building our little cabins here and starting from scratch on the cabins. You can see that over at unauthorized.tv if you are a if you have the Good Gardener subscription. That's also $5 a month. So if you don't want to give money to um, YouTube and Google and, and keep feeding the giant machine that we all love very much, YouTube, um, and we appreciate you. We appreciate you putting authorized people first. So at Unauthorized, um, I have a bunch of videos there, but I haven't done as much updating there lately because we've been in the middle of a switchover. So you're going to be invited to join the new setup. And um, so they're, they're working on getting that together right now. So if you're already one of my subscribers over there, it's carrying over. So... Um, no, I inhale it, Sir Hat. I'm making sure that my lungs are filled with nicotine receptors. <clears throat> and gin and tonic. I do have some gin. A friend of mine brought over a bottle. God bless him. So you have a great rest of the day, guys. God bless you all. And until next time, may your thumbs always be green.